Welcome to the Read Method Insider, a podcast for emerging and established sales professionals or anyone seeking career advancement, inspiration, or business development. With personal development and high-level success strategies by sales coach, acclaimed speaker, and author of the Read Method, Everald Reed. Listen, practice, prosper. So Stephen, the big question, Mm -hmm. what led you to decide that this was something you wanted to tackle? Uh, I mean, it's no small feat. It's no small task. So, no, it's absolutely not. It's absolutely not. I mean, um, well, uh, as you know, not going to go into the detail of that, but as you've already said in my intro, um, you know, this year uh, opened up Pandora's box of a whole bunch of issues, uh, much of which mental health related. Um, now, I think traditionally we've always thought of mental health as being, you know, what what happens to people when they have a, a problem with their mental health is that they flip over and, you know, go over the edge. And I'm I'm rapidly concluding that mental health is a spectrum, and you know, you you could be anything from you know seriously uh, ill at one end, you know, down to sort of mildly mildly hacked off <laughs> yeah. and uh, anxious at the other end, and there's everything in between. So not to belittle sort of mental health or put a label on stuff. That's kind of where, uh, where I was at earlier in the year. Still there. I've got to be honest. It's a bit of a journey. It's never a kind of, you know, click of the fingers and suddenly you're fixed. Um, but I got to a point in the middle of the year where I was having conversations with a few people. I think you guys were included in this as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, it became fairly evident that this is, I thought originally was perhaps the domain of men of a certain age who have been in a male dominated environment and so I thought, right, we've got to we've got to start doing something about this, getting people talking about it. Um, got our creative he- heads on, and we came up with the name Men Able, which is a, a a play on words of of men and enable, and it's all about enabling guys in particular to feel that they can have an opportunity to speak openly about men- their own mental health. Um, so the Men Able sort of brand if you want to call it that was born i started putting a few videos out and st- suddenly getting inundated with feedback and people saying oh my word you know you're on the right lines and this is, this applies to us um and then more and more conversations and it just dawned on me like a power surge one day that wow this is this is almost kind of what i feel like i've been put on the planet for you know this was this has a, been a journey there's a, a massive painful piece it, this year um but now I can see that, yeah, actually, you know, I'm not the only one to have gone through this and, and I'm not the only one that's going to go through it in the future. What we need to be is a, as an industry is there to help and provide and support uh, for people when they do. So uh, hence the, the movement was born. Wow. And what a movement it's become. Russ, what do you, what do you, so what, I mean, and here we are, I mean, again, we're in three different time zones uh, in three different countries and, something as powerful as the idea alone has drawn us all together here uh, today. Mm-hmm. So Russ, what, what's your take on so, so far, what has drawn you into Menable? Um, so for me, it, it originally started with a conversation uh, with uh, Stephen and I, as we continue to, to talk and to get to know each other uh, in this past summer, but it really hit home with me um, because I have those, I've lived that, stressful life, right? I've been the sales manager. I've been that transactional person on a day-to-day basis of the pressures of uh, performing in, in ways that uh, in the automobile industry that are task-related um, and goal-oriented related on a month-to-month basis. 
and the strain and, and stress of those situations um, ultimately leads to, you know, things in, in, in and I'm sure in your countries as well, but here in the United States, it, it's it's almost it's the sad running joke of, you know, guys in the car business are at least divorced and estranged from their kids. Yeah. And when it happened to me, um, I absolutely regret not watching my uh, kids grow up because uh, I was working all the time. I was trying to do all the things and be all the things for everyone. Um, and ultimately, it just takes its toll on itself and and. You know, when you get to to be my age, and, and it generates a regret, and and I don't want um, people who it's never too late um, to say, hey, I I don't feel right. It's never too late or wrong to say that this is troubling. I know something needs to change, uh, but you know, in our generation, this uh, generation uh, of people over essentially over forty five, it, it's that's all we've known, right? It's what yeah. our parents know. It's what we were raised to do. We were raised to keep our mouth shut and to keep working, um, uh, especially as men, uh, to man up or uh, be a good boy. All those kinds of phrases are so detrimental as we look back on our lives um, to have a chance to express those things in a public forum and to be able to support and help other people uh, through an organization. Um, that's, that's really why I'm here. You know, it, it's it's a pretty big deal. And um you know, when, when Stephen and I shared, and as you, as with you as well, several uh, conversations over the summer, and it was not just the summertime, it was, you know, going through the thick off COVID and, you know, trying to coexist in a pandemic and international worldwide pandemic and trying to figure out which way is up next, what's tomorrow gonna be like. And here on top of all of this, the stresses of being laid off from work, you know, it, I, I remember closing the dealership and turning out the lights and looking back and like, we can't go back in that dealership. And it was weird. <laughs> it was a weird feeling. It was a weird mm -hmm. ass feeling like, you know, we can't go back in the dealership. We are mandated to close. And that was the weirdest thing ever I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah. You know, where um, we've been forced to go home and stay the hell home um, until this thing is figured out. And so that that was kind of a, a, a rude awakening for me. And then obviously, uh, I know, Stephen, you and I uh, spent a few Sunday mornings talking, um, you know, and Russ, uh, we were on a few other uh, uh, Zooms and so on. But so so tell me, guys. How does one define this issue? Uh, how does one define this issue? You know, if you're a sales rep or a service writer, um, how do you know that you're experiencing mental health or having an issue? Um, well, for me, I think what I'm what I'm rapidly concluding um, because it's a very good question, and I've asked myself that. You know, at what point do you say oh, I've got mental health issues? And I think the reality of it is, every single one of us has, just as we have physical health. Gotcha. You know, it's in, and it is on a spectrum. And as I say, it's from being mildly annoyed right the way up to, you know, real serious, um, you know, properly medically diagnosed disorders uh, and everything in between. Um, the difference for me is that with a physical illness, if you woke up one morning and said, oh, my, my leg aches, you know, I don't feel you know, I've got a bit of a pain in the in the knee today. You know, we'd openly talk about that and everyone go, oh, well, have you tried this? Or what about this? Or what's caused that then? Um, but if you wake up in one morning and you think, 
you know what, I just really don't feel like it today or something's going on or I'm fretting or anxious about this. You know, those are the things that we don't tend to talk about. Um, and what we're, you know, our mission is to, is to get people opening up and going, no, it's okay to, to just as you would say, look, I've got a headache to actually go, yeah, I've got a headache, but it's not a physical headache. It's a, a you know, the weight bearing down on me headache. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great analogy because it, you're right. We talk about the physical ailments all the time, but mm. no one ever really recognizes that they're having stresses or mentality or mental health issues mm. from that broad spectrum. Uh, for me, it's realizing and waking up in the morning and having this thought of, oh, what if, right? What if this happens? What if that happens? Why didn't mm -hmm. I get this done? Why didn't I get that done? Um, you know, different scenarios of, of, of each transaction of, of the things that have to be completed today. I wake up with this, this tendency to have a to-do list in my brain. Yeah. And then I start to panic is a strong word, but I start mm -hmm. to fret about, how am I going to get all that done? What am I going to do? How am I going to do this if I don't get this done? And then it just it just piles upon each other and piles upon each other and piles yeah, upon yeah. each other. And you don't even know it. And in the end of the day, you're exhausted going, you know, talking with your significant other about you know how your day was, and you just you're just exhausted. You just want to sit down. You don't want yeah, to do anything, yeah. right? You get your day and, off. You get your day off like. <laughs> and as you alluded to at the beginning, Russ, as well, I mean, if you then combine, you know, you, you compound that over many, many years and many situations where as a, as a, a man in a male dominated environment, you probably wouldn't have talked about a lot of this stuff. You'd have bottled it up. You'd have suppressed it, repressed it, not had that conversation, you know, well, what's wrong with you? Oh, no, I'm all right. I'm fine. No, leave yeah. me alone. I'll be okay. You know, all of that. And we, and we see that all the time. And this is a conversation I've had with both of you. How many of us have walked into a car dealership and, you know, you say to somebody, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, I'm okay. well I'm guilty of that. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And what we're talking know. about here is the emotions. You know, this is the emotions. And this is why I'm now a believer that it's on a, it's on a, on a spectrum, you know, yeah. and we're all, we're all susceptible to this. Absolutely. And, you know, some of us feel that we're too big and too powerful, or it would be too embarrassing to say, no, I'm actually mm. not having a good week or a good month. Or there are things, you know, that even though I may look good here at work and, you know, and one of the next questions I wanted to uh, touch on, which kind of relates to the point I'm trying to make here is we spend like a third of our lives at work. Some people spend more, some people spend a little less, but it's about at least a third of our lives. And generally work is a good um, outlay or a good environment to kind of de-stress because there are a lot of people I know who leave their homes to go to work, <laughs> okay? Because it's less stressful at work, right? And uh, so why do you think, guys, mental health, men's mental health, and especially in the automotive industry, and I read the recent article actually commissioned in the UK where men's mental health is costing the industry in 2018 $1.2 billion in, mm -hmm. in productivity yep. uh, because of obviously time off and, and, and so on. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that this is on the rise currently in the automotive space? Russ, do you want to pick that up first? Yeah, so, so for me, it's it's about a drive to be culture driven. Mm. So to create a to create a customer experience needs to create a culture. The transactional based hero to zero every thirty days um, is really, I think, what generates this overwhelming 
you know, up and down cycle um, uh, of inactivity and productivity. And I, and I think absolutely to change that process, you guys touched on it a little bit, is when someone says, hey, how you doing? We need to be prepared to listen and to really listen, right? Everybody has, hey, man, how you doing today? Oh, great, great. Oh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm great. But if, if, if you're really paying attention and you say, yeah, I'm, I'm great, and then they dip their head and they go back to work, right? That mm-hmm. piece of enthusiasm isn't quite there. Mm-hmm. You need to learn to stop. And I think that in the culture of car dealerships, there are some very just outstanding cultures and some, and some dealer, dealer groups in this country. Um, but then there are some others that are just still built in. They're still in the 70s. They yeah. just, yeah. just don't get it. And, uh, and and leadership, a- the leadership of the people who are like us um, in that age bracket who can change those things for the people who are coming forward, um, that boils down to the culture. Yeah, yeah, uh, 100%. And that, that's exactly the, the, the situation in the UK. Um, and I've said from the beginning, you know, this Menable is not about training. It's not about coaching as such. This is about culture change. And this is about disrupting those cultures and going into those businesses and, and saying, look, you've got to take a long, hard look in the mirror at what is going on in your business and what you're about and who you are. Because, you know, I even had somebody yesterday who said to me, you know, are, are employers responsible for, for staff's mental health? And my answer to that is, yes, absolutely you are. <laughs> A hundred percent you are. There is no legislation that says that you need to deal with it in this way, but you need to stop and think, what are the contributors? What are the things that you're doing that's contributing to that person behaving or doing things in that way, taking that stuff home or or whatever it is? And Russ is bang on in as much as, you know, what we have is a considerable amount of leaders across the business who do things in the same way that they did in 1985, you know, and yet things have moved on a lot. And, and so this younger generation I told, said about earlier, 25 to 37, 38 year group are coming up behind us and going, Whoa, hang on. No, the world doesn't look like that anymore. You know, so we need to address the culture and we need to look at what we're, what we're doing. Um, and, you know, to get a bit political about it for a minute, what doesn't help is that the industry is geared up for mass production. Uh-huh. So we have OEMs churning out cars in the thousands. That then gets disseminated through a network of dealers. And of course, then everyone's working to targets and objectives. And suddenly what you have is a whole bunch of leaders and managers who do not in the main have the emotional intelligence to to do that in a way that's other than, you know, you know, be strong or be gone kind of attitude. And that just, that's just perpetuated itself for many, many years. Yeah. I mean, I've seen this uh, firsthand and I continue to see it where the, the month to month, which is, you know, it's just whole transactional, um, you know, uh, cycle mm-hmm. where you get your targets one month. Okay. And you don't know how many times I've heard, well, that was yesterday. Yesterday is finished. Last month is finished. And today you're at zero, mm. right? <laughs> and it doesn't matter what you did last month, even if you did 30 cars or 25 or, you know, whatever targets you achieved. Well, you know, the, the slate's now clean and you're starting over mm. or constantly hearing, you know, you know, the comments, the constant comments or the sarcastic feedback from either management or team members or constantly seeing favoritism within, 
your your dealership, whether you're in the service department, you know, w- you know, work being divided out to certain technicians, uh, favors, uh, and that bothers people. And then they go to one or two other people and they talk about it, and they're but they're scared to go talk to their supervisors mm-hmm. or their managers about it, and you know, then they're stressed and they go home with this. And it it's like, you're stressed at home, you take that to work. You're stressed at work, you take that to home. And it's this ping pong back and forth <laughs> daily, you know, that drives people insane. And and you yeah. wonder why we've, we have not learned mm-hmm. that our best resources is people. And it's it's really the strong that, like us, in a way, that, kind of are able to pivot our way around and through a lot of this mess mm-hmm. that survive it in a way, because many people will say, well, I don't need this crap. And, and, yeah, yeah. and that's why the, the, the career, the careers are mostly shorter. Yeah. Um, and the, the staff turnover. I mean, I, we've got companies in the UK whose staff turnover is still in the 50, 60%. Yeah. Um, and you know they they'll 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 question well what's men able about what you're trying to fix well we're not we're not trying to fix anything that's that's you know losing the point you know the, the fact you've got this staff turnover suggests you have a problem and your you problem, problem is your culture yeah you know and I had, I was talking to a sales manager on the phone this, uh, this afternoon who was saying that the reason he left his job in the end was because month end came round his wife had just had a baby and his boss was on the phone saying. You know, I don't care what's happened, whether your wife's had a baby or not. It's month end. You need to be in here. Oh, my God. You know, and then he's ending up then on the phone to his administrator in the, in the evening, getting her to come in as well. She only works till two in the afternoon to register three cars so that they can hit their target for the month end. For what purpose? For somebody to sit back three days later and go, wow, didn't we do well last month? Yeah. You know, but at what cost? At what cost? Yeah. That, 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 I call that a culture of shame, mm. and, and and because that's what uh, Everell touched on it. You you get essentially well. Aren't you on the team? Aren't you a mm. team player? Aren't you, <laughs> well, what's I hate the that. problem? I I know you. I know you have. I know your kid is doing this, or your your family needs this or that. But you know, it, uh, yeah, so what? I mean, they just stare at you like. So what's the point? Yeah, and it, yeah. it's the most. It's the most frustrating. Uh, anxiety-filled moments of people's lives that they don't really realize until they look back on them and go, oh, man, yeah. I can't believe I did that. Because we sit here on this phone call or on the Zoom and we talk about it like, oh my God, that's horrible. We lived it. Yeah, every oh, yeah we did. Month, every yeah. month, month after month. And I don't want the people coming behind us to have to deal and go through that again. Yeah. And, and actually, be. no, you're spot on. And, and as leaders, you know, we were part of it. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, and I think that's the that's the key bit is if you're not part of the solution, then you are a part of the problem. Yeah, you know, and it's it's a bit like when you you leave home in the morning, you suddenly hit a traffic jam, you know, and you sit there in your car for half an hour blaming everybody else. Well, hey, guess what? You're you left at the same time and got in the same traffic jam. So Roger uh, <laughs> Roger Kanat is saying culture is really a behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I think it's culture, uh, speaking to Roger's point, is really a choice of how you behave. Yep. You know, it's what you choose to tolerate uh, in your company as managers or the owner and what you choose to tolerate, um, you know, as, as 
as as staff, but it really comes from the t- the top down. Sometimes the staff doesn't have a choice but to to put up with, you know, certain things. But but it's really up to management. It's really up to ownership. It's really up to leadership. Where, you know, I, I teach a lot about the philosophy of companies, not just automotive dealerships and automotive businesses in the auto space, but the philosophy of companies. What is that philosophy? Do you even have a philosophy? Mm-hmm. And if you do have a philosophy, then you should be dealing with these issues and questions and circumstances. If a staff member says, you know what, my wife's given birth, like Russ alluded to, or, you know, or is pregnant and I need to go home and not make that person feel guilty. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I've been through this. I've been through this and I won't get into the raw details of it, but I have been through this nonsense where and and it led me to actually make some dis- tough some decisions mm-hmm. um as, as well so you know for, for for dealerships out there if you can help and, and you i think we all can help all all leaders in dealerships owners managers can help and you you can help by starting to listen a little bit better okay just show a little bit of empathy it's almost like you don't have to do much else is no you know just to listen to talk Mm -hmm. to somebody just to ask the question you know by the way how was your weekend Mm -hmm. you know or or how did you make out this weekend or how 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 is your wife or how are things going on at home those things today is what's important Mm -hmm. right and and if you haven't seen if you haven't learned yet and seen all the people going into hospitals and not coming back out Mm -hmm. and dying alone and (laughs) You know, it, it, you know, that's all you need to see, mm-hmm. you know, so there, there's a lot bigger things there for us. So, um, so from your perspective, uh, Russ, are there particular positions that you've seen in the automotive space that are more prone to mental health? Like, you know, is it more in the service? Is it, have you seen more people in sales or is it in management? Uh Yeah, I think, I think really it boils down to everyone who is, um, derived and their pay and their what they go to work for it can literally be any person in any dealership management uh-huh. um, obviously is in control of that culture and what that you know whether or not it has a positive spin to it or not uh, but i do know that if you take care of those people you to allude to what you just talked about if you take care of those people and you really care about those people and understand that those people have lives outside of work two-thirds of their life is you know partly sleep but the rest of it's not work related. Um, and we go to work to take care of our families. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we, the family should be first. And, and I think that ultimately, if you create that kind of a mentality, then the, the employee, whether it's a lot person or it's a service writer, it's a parts and service director, a general manager, whoever that person may be. If you've set the tone to understand that you are here at work to support and take care of your family. Um, and you as an employer, um, that is your goal is to support them. Guess what? They take care of your customer. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. There, there are yeah. so many examples of these things every day in the car business that we mm-hmm. see. And we see them all over LinkedIn. We see them all over, all over Facebook. But there's nearly 17,000 franchise dealerships in America. We see a dozen. Yeah. Right. All the rest of them are are still on that transactional hero to zero basis. And I, and I think that mm-hmm. the, the power of positivity um, and listening and being em- 
pathetic. You know, listen, we have a tendency to listen to respond and to answer, but listen to listen, just listen to find yeah. and understand why that person is doing what they do, why that person needs a lot. Yeah. You know, that yeah. person might need something else. You want, might want to be a technician, he or she, and, yeah. and that culture has to be set. And sometimes it's just, you know, like you said, just listening is literally giving that person the time to speak, you know, not rushing, not cutting off the conversation. You don't even have to say much. Right. But literally being in the moment, being present so that that person acknowledges that, yeah, this person is actually taking in what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And, And that time that you're, you know, you're spending shows care and oftentimes diffuses the whole situation. So, and, and you're saying to that other person who's, who's, who's venting or speaking that, you know what, you matter. Your time is important enough that I'm gonna block out everything right now and I'm just gonna listen to you, mm, yeah. you know? And that goes a long way. So w- one of my next um, questions is, what are some of the signs of mental health and how, uh, you know, what is mental health? What are some of the signs? And, you know, you can go and get clinically diagnosed as, you know, whether it's anxiety or depression. Uh, Those are some of the main ones that are usually easier to deal with. And then there's obviously the more complex ones like schizophrenia and, you know, the more, you know, intense types of uh, mental, uh, mental health. But, what what are the signs so if you're at work on the showroom floor if you're in the service if you're a technician how does one know i i think well like i said for me what i'm uncovering or discovering through all of this journey myself is that every single one of us have mental health you know um we at what point we define it as a problem is the point at which we feel that um, stuff has become too much for us or, you know, we, we've flipped over the edge or, or whatever it might be. But every single one of us from being sort of mildly annoyed, as I said, to, to as you said, Everold, right off the scale at the other end. And I think as leaders, you know, Roger's right about culture being behavior and vice versa. And it is about having that that culture of behaviors in your business that you can spot when somebody is, you know, maybe a bit off color one day, or maybe they're not, you know, perf- performing at the level that they have been or they're not as happy as they were the day before and you know and this is about becoming kind of emotionally invested in a in a two-way street kind of way you know you're as emotionally invested in your employee as they are in you you know and they should be coming to you and saying look i'm not you know i'm not feeling it i've got this going on at home i've got stuff happening you know things are things are not right for me at the moment i i had an employer say to me yesterday yeah, but at what point do we know when somebody's mental health, is, you know, they're using mental health as an excuse for just oh, man. Um, swinging the lead? I mean, I won't say the exact phrase they said, but you can imagine what it was, um, you know, swinging the lead. How do we know that they're not just using that? To, and I said, well, because you can't on the one hand say that, you know, you're a family business and you're, you know, you have family values and a great philosophy and a great ethos and all the rest of it. And then suddenly, actually, what does that really look like in reality? that person starts and the next conversation you have with that person after their start date is a month later when they have or have not hit target. Then in a month after that, when they have or have not hit target. Yeah. Because what we should be doing is being emotionally invested and start from the beginning. And this, this guy this afternoon was saying, 
as a leader now of his own business, he's going to sit people down and say, look, this is what it means to work here. This, and this is what you can expect from me. I want to know now what you, what you expect from me as a leader. And I need to know what's going on in your life because that has a direct impact on what's going on in this business. And I want you to talk to me. You know, you, you come and talk to me. There will be an open door and you will be listened to and you will be understood and so on and so on. And I have to say, in all my time of working in dealerships, I can't think of anybody that I've worked with who's had that conversation with their teams. I don't know about Russ, whether you have. But that, for me, is the, this is where we need to get to. Is exactly what you said, Everold, is getting people in that emotionally intelligent place to be able to spot mm, things aren't right for Steve or Russ at the moment. Let's just kind of, let's not wait until they get to this point on the spectrum and then go, oh, there we are, there's a crisis, now we can step in. Yeah, and then it's too late sometimes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 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 And I think that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you really stop, and so as a vendor, so if you take the, and dealing with car dealerships all the time over the years um, in the business-to-business side, you can always tell, um, and, and even as a manager, when you're interviewing someone or having any kind of a conversation with that person, and within it, especially within the car dealership, because that's what my whole career has been in the car dealership, right? If they're looking beyond you, right? They're looking past you. They're not looking you in the eye and understanding and listening to you and, and not speaking. Then, you know, you have a, a, a culture difference. Mm-hmm. If the person on the other side of that conversation isn't looking at you or isn't just sitting there quietly listening, if they're looking beyond you, you know, they're not listening. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is a very tell sign um, as to the uh, the empathetic uh, person that they that he or she is. Mm-hmm. If they're if they're not engaged with you in that moment with a big crowd, I mean, it could be a giant crowd around you. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but sitting across the desk from someone and they're not looking at you and they're looking at everything behind you, it's a tell sign for yeah. me. So, so Roger is uh, making a point to that as well. Um, he's saying that addictions run wild in dealerships, and one reason is that it's not manly to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Totally agree with that. But That's spot, on. spot on. But do you think sometimes that in a culture, in a dealership culture, if they made it clear from the very onset that look, you know, we have an open door policy. Um, if there are any issues you need to deal with, uh, you know, as a team or individually or in private, here are the steps to do so. And here, you know, here's the avenue that's open. Or having a manager that you know you can go and talk to who will actually give you the time of day mm-hmm. and, and, and listen to you. Uh, and you can talk to man to man or talk to as a friend. But, you know, I also see Roger's point where some people just won't, don't want to hear the their dirty laundry at work because that's a totally different environment. And then you'd be looked at totally differently, but you'd be surprised how many of those same people that you're sharing your stories with have the same or worse problems. Oh, I'm hundred percent. Right? Yeah. Right. And you know, what I've found in talking to other people is that they're almost happy that you're talking to them because the minute you start talking about your issue, they also start talking about their issue. Mm-hmm. Right. And now realizing that there's somewhere, there's someone else that they can share things with. 
And, 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 and that's kind of like, I think Steve and I uh, actually, initially we started talking to each other and uh, it worked out. So, uh, so that would be my suggestion, Roger, if that, if that helps. And I know it's not manly to ask for help and <laughs> I sure as hell don't want to, you know, talk to people about my personal business and, and, and vice versa. But uh, I think, I think we got to try and start somewhere, you know, and that's, that's a key. Absolutely. I mean, I, I had somebody yesterday who kind of intimated to me that, uh, you know, this is such a big problem and it's, uh, you know, a massive industry, you know, where do you begin? And I, and I sat back and I went, look, there are a million reasons why we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. There are a million reasons why men able should not exist, yeah. you know, but actually if we end up saving one life, yeah. you know, because of it internationally, then it's been worth it. Yeah. Um, but Roger's right. You know, it, it is a, it's a, that's perception that it's not manly. Mm-hmm. No. And I grew up with that. I grew up with the, you know, you're the, the head of the household. You are the breadwinner. You are, you know, programmed that you will leave school. You will get your qualifications. You follow what society expects and you'll do go down this route, um, be the breadwinner and do all that, get all that stuff that goes with that. And, you know, then it's not manly to actually go, mm, but, you know, I've got this going on. And actually, then it becomes, then it boils down to, especially in our industry, the issue of the fact that we are very competitive. You know, it's very male dominated, as we've said. Um, it's target driven, so it's fast paced. So it's what we're aiming to do with, with Men Able is to, is to create businesses that go, whoa, 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 let's just slow it down a bit, everyone. You know, let's ease off a little bit and just go, no, it is okay to talk about this stuff. So from your perspective, now that we've, you've started this movement, um, Stephen, and, you know, we're, we're, you know, Russ and I are, are involved, you know, peripherally uh, in, in different countries and we're identifying more and more off this issue in, in our business. Um, how can you, how, you know, what, what is your goal to drive that positive message or mental health message across the industry? Uh, how can, how, how are we now going to get this across to more people that there is in fact an opportunity and a space to communicate? Yeah. I mean, I, it, do you know what, this is the first time I've ever done anything. I've ever created anything that doesn't have a business plan or a spreadsheet. <laughs> and I've not sat down for a minute and Russ and I have had this conversation a lot. I have not sat down for a minute and gone, you know, if we were to get this many customers paying this much money, this is how much money we'll earn. It's, it's not about that. Um, and every single person that's involved in this would, would do this stuff for free. Yeah. Um, now we are at the point of saying, well, no, there's a, there's a commercial element to this as well. And that's equally not about profiteering or anything like that. It doesn't come into it. Um, but the, the key bit is to get more and more people talking about it. And you know, what, what this has done is captured people's imaginations and, and look at us now, you know, three guys of a similar age sitting on a zoom call going, talking about this stuff and saying, Hey, you know, what we've grown up with is, is not right. It's not fit for purpose anymore. We need to address this. Uh-huh. Um, and that begins with talking about it. And I've had, you know, in the UK, we've, we've got uh, a process called mental health first aid. Now I'm not going to decry that because it does a fantastic job. They go into, they go into organizations and they train people on what to look for, how to deal with situations when they come up. The issue that I have with that for me in our industry, and this is probably, I'm talking specifically the automotive industry. One, 
the mental health issues are on a spectrum. So it's at what point do you intervene? And secondly, our industry is too cynical and too reactive. And what I can envisage, and you guys are probably, you know, identify with this as well, is that that as a training course would end up being run in a room upstairs somewhere in a dealership with 10 managers sitting there who don't want to be there, all looking at their phones, looking at their watches and ticking a box at the end of it and going, oh, well, I've done that training. Oh, have you done your mental health first aid training? Oh, yeah, I did that six months ago. And now now I feel ready that when I get to this point and someone goes and hits that crisis point, I know what to do. What I've not addressed is the stuff back here that's the, the arm around the shoulder, the cultural conversation. Um, and, you know, I've just seen that Roger's just made a great point, which is about getting more women in the automotive industry. You know, women are naturally good at this stuff. They support each other. They, they nurture. They've got a different set, you know, wiring completely. And I'm the first to admit that. Um, and there's an organization in the UK called the 30% Club that has a, a goal to get 30% of senior leadership uh, positions filled from diverse women uh, by 2030. Now, one of the things they spotted, and I was talking to their founder this morning, was that the issue that we have in the automotive industry is that women join and then positively select out of the industry because they come in and they find themselves in a male-dominated, manly cultural area where it's about banter, it's about saying what you want, it's about you know shoving stuff under the carpet and it's push, 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 push. And women go, you know, no, I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. You know, and I'm sorry, I'm going to jump on the top side of that. Yeah. Is when, um, I, don't, I don't really know, when the automobile industry is dominated by old white, and, and I'll, I'll be blunt, it's old white guys. And until they change their ability to see things differently than who they are, they will never change. So 100%. we really, really have to understand that that the people who are at the top, it's okay to not be manly. It's mm-hmm. okay to take another person's opinion. Look outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. Look outside of yourself to understand that people of color and that uh, women uh, absolutely can bring value to the customer experience and can bring value to the culture of a dealership. Do not look for your buddy. Don't look for your who looks like you, who acts like you, who does like you. Take I I would implore them to take a different look. Take a look at people of color. Take a look at women in leadership roles. They might not have the experience. None of them have the experience because they don't enter the the field. Uh-huh. Right. Help them to enter the field and nurture that process and bring them along and be positive with them. And and it will absolutely make a difference in the lives of other people, and especially in the automotive business. Because until the leaderships start to see things other than themselves, uh, it'll be a real, this is what, to me, what Menable is really about is Mm -hmm. changing and being diverse and understanding that it's not just me as as the old white guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, to get out of that box. 100%. And this, this is why we've said all along, haven't we? And Russ and I have had this conversation a lot. You know, what does Menable provide? And, and I've actually said, well, I find it easier to say what Menable doesn't provide. And what we don't do is we don't send a trainer into a dealership to train people on how, how to spot mental health issues. Yeah. Um, 
you know, because they'll they'll tick the box, they'll they'll laugh a bit, they'll have a bit of a banter ab- about it, they'll all sit there and point fingers and make jokes at each other, um, but they won't actually go. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. We what we need to do is to address this issue of, you know, why are we still expecting people to work seventy hours a week? Yeah. Why are we paying them a low basic and and paying them commission? You know, yeah. what effect does that have on them outside of work when they have a when they have a poor month? Why are they having a poor month? What's going on for them? You know, we need to be addressing all of that. Yeah, and I've seen some very clear examples of it where in my dealership, for example, we've had sometimes when the women have actually had better months than the men. And all you hear are these jokes and comments how the women beat the men. And and it's not like, okay, this person is number one or did a great job, but they're making the comparisons now. Uh, man versus woman. And just yesterday, I had a conversation with with a, a female, uh, very, you know, very accomplished young lady. And she's had her best year yet. And she literally said, I don't like this business. She's made the most money she's ever made right, in her life, in a career in the last five years. And she just doesn't like the business because off the process and off, you know, everything around it, you know, the things that are said, the examples that are given, you know, the rules that are one-sided, the lack of empathy, the lack of care, literally about your own personal time. And when people have to feel guilty for taking a vacation or guilty for taking a day day off, you're done. You've lost Mm -hmm. those people. Mm -hmm. You're so done. It's just a matter of time until something better comes along. And I wish more dealerships would would really appreciate that, that, you know, listening to your people and treating your people like people is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've seen it. So why is it that big company like large corporations like Richard Branson has hundreds of companies and people stay there forever because and he, he's not even working in these companies specifically, you know, culture. And why is it that because it's the automotive space, there can't be proper culture, there can't be open door policies, there can't be real support for men and women, you know, like, why, why are we, why are we, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot? Well, we have a legacy, don't we, of, um, you know, people moving around. And, you know, people who have been in it a long time, and, and I don't know about where you are, but certainly in the UK, you know, it's, there has been a, a, a case for, it's a badge of honour that you've actually moved around the industry a lot. Yeah. You know, and we end up with with salesmen and uh, service managers and sales managers and heads of business that sit there and go, oh, well, I've done a year here and 18 months over there and two years there and, oh, I only did a month there, but that didn't really work out. You know, and we sit there and go, oh, well, that's okay. He must be, you know, he's got a load of experience. He's going to be great for us because he's moved around the industry a lot. And so, but what are we doing? We're just, we're just kicking the can up the street all the time, Yeah. you know, and, and moving it around. And, and this thing never gets addressed because we're, you know, we're, and what I really sincerely hope for our industry is that through all of this, now that, you know, lots of airlines are making people redundant and, you know, that the, what COVID has done for various industries, I hope that there are elements of our industry that go, 
do you know what? We could be employing some of these people because they are so good at customer service. They're so good at leadership. You know, I don't care that this, you know, this lady's never sold a car in her life, but actually what she has done is she's managed a team of 20 air hostesses on an aeroplane long haul for the last 20 years. She's going to make a fantastic sales manager. So, so let me ask you on that subject, Stephen and, and Russ. Now that we have, and mostly you, Stephen, has as you know, you founded this movement, and you obviously there's there's a pro- profound purpose behind this, and, and passion. I think that comes across. And, and, and passion, purpose, <laughs> purpose, and passion. Absolutely, people, purpose, passion. Yeah, right? I like that. I'm gonna write that down here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, have you identified, like, say, the, the, the top three issues and maybe what the top three solutions, you know, or first steps would be in, in, in trying to curve, bend this curve, so to speak? Um, <clears throat> I think going back in reverse order a little bit, I think the top, for me, the, the, the top three uh, solutions would be getting people talking about it. I think it's, it's awareness. Uh awareness um awareness first of all it's education Uh you know and that and when i say that i don't mean training i do not mean sending people on training courses it's actually the opposite you know it's conversations like this uh i don't want managers being dragged halfway across the country to sit in a room in a hotel for when we get back to that uh you know for a day (laughs) to to walk away with a workbook and and you know tick the box i don't want that that's not what i mean so it's awareness education and then the final bit is prevention. Okay. And it's about that opening that conversation piece up to say, you know, preventing people getting to this, you know, crisis point on this, on the spectrum is about having those conversations earlier and that's culture, behavior, everything. Wow. And that's what I was going to ask is that I'm aware of awareness. I understand education, but how can you prevent? Well, I think this is where we're partly stuck in our industry because, and I've had this conversation two or three times the last few days, leaders that have asked that, and forgive me, I know it sounds like I'm challenging you now, Everard, I don't mean to. <laughs> let's let's what, go. <laughs> what, listen, no, because what you're, you're spot on. What this alludes to is that our industry is a diagnostic and fix-it industry, particularly in the service lane, right? Uh-huh. A car comes in, it's got a squeak. We put it on a ramp, we find the problem, we change the part, it goes back out, problem solved. And the legacy that we have is that we've tried, we always try and do that with people. With people. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't because this spectrum. Now, if somebody's at crisis point, you can kind of take them, put them into counseling and perhaps fix them a little bit. But what about all these people down here? All these yeah. people that are. 10 years into the 20 year cycle, you know, this, and that's so prevention is about having conversations. It's about us going out there and going, yeah, it's okay to have this chat. Take five minutes out of your day and have a coffee with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. No, very powerful stuff. What are are your thoughts, Russ? So for me, it's um, uh, obviously the awareness, the education, but the the prevention for me um, ultimately boils down to, I alluded to a minute ago is, is listening. Because even on the variable side, we're still checking off boxes. His, you know, squeak, fix it, replace the part, done, next. On the variable on the sales side, it's the same way, right? Okay, car, 
I did a walk around. I did the steps to the sale. <laughs> I filled out my back bracket. I sent them into the finance office. I, you know, I mean, there's still, we're still checking off those boxes every day. Right. Now there's a certain amount of that that we need to do, right? Everybody still needs to do that process, right? We still need to have that, but the expectation of what that process will produce, um, I think is where the prevention piece comes in. Because yeah. if you follow the process and you do the things that you want to do in your life, not just in the car business, but and really understand who you are and what you want to be, this is a very for me personally in the last couple of weeks is very is a very hard question to answer, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody thinks that you have to have this checkbox, mm-hmm. like okay, I was supposed to do that. Like, like I've been in the car business twenty years, I'm supposed to go get a job in the car business. Okay, wait a minute, is that? I mean, I got challenged. Uh, a few days ago by someone that Stephen introduced me in the Netherlands, right? What is your dream job? Okay. It's my job as a human being to find, to figure out what that is. But if I can't find a safe place to go to work, to do that, to find out what that dream job really is, then how am I ever going to find it? I'm 50, almost 53 years old. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I'm really asking myself, okay, wait a minute. What is my dream job? What is mm-hmm. it that I really want to do? And I think creating a culture in an automobile dealership, if you had the ability to do that, everything else would fall into place. Yeah, you would not 100%. have you would not have the issues that, that we have today in terms of turnover uh, and and uh, not having an inclusive workplace. Mm-hmm. Wow, outstanding! So, if we were to leave the audience, gentlemen, with a couple of tidbits. Um, what would that be after such a compelling conversation <laughs> led led by the founder and CEO, Mr. Stephen Witten and mm-hmm. Ambassador Russ Mann from Arizona? <laughs> Ambassador for the US, United States, nonetheless. For the, for the U, United States. See, these yeah. are, I love the title. Right. And the ambassador for Canada and Jamaica and Jamaica. Everald Reed. Yeah, yeah. Hence the Jama- <laughs> the Jamaican accent in me. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big deal. This this whole thing. So I'm very proud to be part of the group and um, absolutely be able to spread the word and mm. to have a platform that we can use to to have further discussions and to bring as many people on the show uh, uh, next time to have to to deepen the discussion as mm-hmm. we all learn about it because it's. You know, it's a it's a new subject for me to to dive into as well. So I appreciate that. Um, so what, what would be your takeaways, Russ? What do you th- what are your thoughts? So I'm absolutely grateful for the for the time and the platform to be able to talk about this issue, because I know that there are thousands and thousands of people who are going through this process right now in the automobile industry. They're absolutely listening to us and going, "Wow, this is happening to me." Wow, Russ, Russ had four kids and all four of them, he doesn't really know how they grew up because he was never there. So if I can make that impact to have them to stop and slow down and really understand and really look inside themselves to to help themselves understand what it is that they want and how they want it and how they want their life to be. Um, don't fill it with regret. Uh, and fill it with things and understanding that every single person matters, yeah. regardless if they're man, woman, black, white, doesn't matter. Okay, they're all we're all still humans, um, and to me, that's really what drives me in this message um, is to be able to have that opportunity 
to help someone else understand that that regret is coming. Yeah. And it's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I sense that every time I speak to Russ, you know, and I know Everold, you've got, um, you know, we've talked as well, haven't we, at length, you know, and we share a lot of stuff between the three of us. Um, <clears throat> you know, and it, for me, my takeaways would be to say, you know, keep these conversations going. You know, have, have conversations in, in the business. It's okay. Yeah. You know, don't be fearful. I mean, I, I'll just read you a very quick message that somebody sent me on LinkedIn yesterday on the back of one of the videos that I put on, which was the one about the sales manager who was who was dropped in at the, you know, like a parachuted in uh, at 27 years old and just had to find his own way into, the, into that world. Um, and this guy wrote to me and he said, thanks for that post. It happens a lot with good salespeople too. Uh, I'm off currently, off work currently, as I've had a nervous breakdown due to the lack of good leadership and bully tactics, as well as this lockdown and the virus. I'm extremely good at my job, but made to, been made to feel like a number. And frankly, I'm sick of it. Everyone deserves to be treated with the utmost respect and needs to be given the support they need. But I've had nothing, sadly. I put my heart and soul into my job and my customers and get consistent recommendations. I'm now starting to think my face doesn't fit. Wow. And that's, that's unsolicited. Oh, sorry, that's unsolicited. Somebody sending me a message on LinkedIn off the back of a post similar to this. Yeah. And so I'm saying to myself, there's a need. <laughs> yeah. Oh, huge. And, and that word, the key word that I heard there was bully. Mm -hmm. okay? I, I witnessed that a lot. And uh, it's not good. Mm -hmm. uh, none of it is okay. And uh, so Roger is commenting here. Roger, you've been a, a great uh, he fan. He should have been on the panel. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we'll have to get Roger in uh, <laughs> uh, next next time for sure. Um, so Roger talks about he's been in AA for 35 years. Getting recovering addicts involved in the movement could help if they mm -hmm. have enough recovery. Um some great points, Roger. I appreciate you uh, being on. So, folks, we uh, definitely want to hear your feedback on this topic of mental health in the automotive space. It's a very big deal. Um, there are, I think, how much? There are about 5,000 automobile dealerships between Canada and the United States. I'm not sure how many there are in the UK, but I know that there's 5,000 uh, just new car stores between Canada and the United States, and there's over 550,000 salespeople. And that's just salespeople in the sales mm -hmm. team. Not to mention the, the fixed ops teams. Uh, so we're talking about a lot of people that this potentially uh, affects. And I definitely appreciate uh, the opportunity to, to, to speak to them into this in this platform and to be able to have you know, the exposure to so many people across uh, multiple countries. Uh, the UK, and these are the top three countries that listen to the show, United States, number one, Canada, two, and UK, number three. So definitely uh, some people will hear it in all three countries, and we will obviously edit this episode and use parts of it to share continuously with our respective audiences uh, once it's edited and because I screwed it up in the beginning, as you know. <laughs> what? <laughs> no one would never have known if you hadn't mentioned it. <laughs> I know it. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll let we'll let the techies do all of that. But, <laughs> but um, so, anyways, uh, how do we get a hold of Stephen? How do we get a hold of us? Okay. Well, uh, for me, uh, you can go to the website, which is menable.org. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and there is a, a contact sheet on there, and there's even a, a space where you can book 
half an hour's conversation with somebody if you if you feel that way inclined. Uh, and on LinkedIn, of course, Stephen J. Witten, uh, W-H-I-T-T-O-N. Yeah. <laughs> Wish I Don't had two dollars the, the time I had to spell that. Don't forget the <laughs> J, yeah. Uh, Stephen with a PH. Yeah. Um, and Men Able has a Facebook, has a LinkedIn page as well. Awesome. So, awesome. Yeah, thank you very much, Everald. For me, it's really LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn and then Facebook. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. message me or text me uh, through those platforms. Um, R-U-S-S-M-A-N-N uh, is the name. And, and and I appreciate you, Everald. I appreciate you, Stephen, uh, for the time yeah, that, that it takes to, to be honest and open on a, on a platform like this. Um, it is not easy to do, and no. hopefully uh, we've set an example that, that others can uh, be inspired by, and mm-hmm. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, folks, we certainly always enjoy hearing your feedback and having you listen and write us and email us on the Read Method Insider podcast. So continue sending those emails in, insider at readmethod.com or message, message us as well, uh, DM through Messenger but insider at readmethod.com. And please subscribe or download your favorite episode, especially this one. You want to subscribe (laughs) and download this episode and share this episode. Definitely. Uh, It's on iTunes, SoundCloud. So when it's edited, it'll be on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, like wherever you get podcasts, it'll be there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Leave us a review. uh, Give us a feedback on this particular episode. We've had so many uh, great world-renowned thought leaders, including Todd Stoudemire, who's in Arizona right now. That's where he resides, three-time World Series champion. He was just on my show last. Uh, Okay. And just of note, he won the back-to-back championships here in Toronto. Just, you know, making... (laughs) <laughs> not in Arizona. Toronto has a baseball team? Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coincidentally, 1993, when you started in the automotive space. Yep. Okay, no we, want our, we want our second uh, world championship. And, uh, um, and we've also had Les Brown on the show multiple times. Tom Hopkins, who's also from Arizona, uh, uh, has been on the show several times. And now... Stephen J. Witten, don't forget the J, second time, okay? And yeah. Russ Mann, also from Arizona, like all these Arizona folks coming on the show for the first time. So welcome, Russ, and we'd love to have you back. Um, and uh, yeah, and another gentleman who's a great contributor to the show um, from Badger Maps, another Stephen, Stephen Benson. And uh, I appreciate all you folks. And remember, for the rest of the year and beyond, be thoughtful, be intentional, you know, have those conversations. Don't be afraid to contact us or reach out to someone if you need some help. And definitely, folks, be safe. Thank you very much, everybody. For more information, please visit us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or www.thereadmethod.com.